Well, I think that's the longest I've gone without saying anything. Stephanie would say, maybe in my life. Uh, no suspense as to what the lesson is on this evening. If you have your songbook, would you open it up to 641? 641. We've sung through this a couple of times. Um, and uh, Eric didn't steal my thunder in explaining what the song was about, though he could have done an able job, maybe more ably than I. I'm a fan of stories and parables. They're memorable. Uh, the lessons stick with you because all you have to remember is the story, and if you remember the story, you remember the lessons. Even better when those stories are vividly illustrated or even visual in nature, and just for good measure, they're most memorable when they're also put to song. And so you've got a good story. I'm just all over the place. What's the problem? Needs to be up a little more? Am I good now? Okay, so um, as I was saying, when they're in song, they're even more memorable. And this song is just such a parable. It's a story, it's visual in nature, and it's set to song. And the story contrasts the two seas of the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee, which is uh, up here in the northern part of the country, uh, and the Dead Sea, and the Sea of Galilee, which is so very alive, and the Dead Sea, which is, well, so very dead, right? And then compares those two seas to us and who we should be in our lives as followers of God. And so I'd like to, us to look at this song and look at some pictures that uh, we're going to have on the screen of these two seas and then make application to some biblical texts that talk about giving and receiving. So if you'll read verse 1 with me, there is a sea which day by day receives the rippling rills and streams that spring from wells of God or fall from cedared hills. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee, uh, a picture that I'll, I have up here. And you see that it's kind of in this bowl right here. And uh, it receives a ton of runoff water. And when I had the opportunity to visit here, I was struck by just how beautiful this part of the country was. And it's kind of a, a, a destination for vacations and so forth for people in this area. Uh, there's watercraft and so forth that they'll use on this lake, Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when we were there, it's kind of cloudy this day, but we were staying in an Airbnb uh, and we were looking down from the north side of the lake and it was just really pretty uh, looking down through there. Everywhere you go, this was at the house where we were staying, there's this tree and these flowers. These flowers were everywhere. Um, it was just so alive. Even on the roadside, as you would drive, you would see these giant bushes filled with flowers all over this area. And what this first part of the verse talks about is that it receives from all of these streams and runoff and so forth that all go down into this beautiful living sea of Galilee. Um, and so if you look up to the north here just a little bit, you see that that's exactly the case, that you've got several smaller streams that flow down into the Sea of Galilee, and all of that is combined into the Jordan River that's going to go on further to the south here. If you go up to Dan, this is really the headwaters of the Jordan River. Um, that's my dad and I when we were there. And so this is the beginning of that river behind us. And I actually have a little video. We'll see if this works. It talks about the rippling rills. Let's see 
see how we do here. I tested all of this to make sure it worked. One more try. Well, the audio was fantastic on that, I promise. Um, Eric, do you think? No? So this is uh, just a flowing stream. Um, that's not particularly something nobody's ever seen before, but this is the actual flowing sea stream uh, that goes down from Dan into the Sea of Galilee. And so from there, if you look to the south, then it comes down into this Jordan River. And this is one of the most fertile areas in all of this part of the world. Uh, just south, I've talked bad about the Jordan River in a lot of sermons. Well, this part of the Jordan River is actually really beautiful. Um, it's deep, it's wide. Uh, you can see that there's a lot of vegetation on each side of the river. Uh, here's a picture of it without any people in it. And so you see it's a deep and wide river, a beautiful river. Uh, lots of vegetation, as I said. Um, for some reason, this video is actually working. You see that there are people swimming. There's a bunch of people. You see all that white over there? That's a lot of people who want to get baptized in the Jordan River. Um, and so they're coming down to the river in order to try and uh, get baptized down here. And so it gives all of these things that it receives. And so if we keep, uh, keep reading, but what it thus receives it gives with glad unsparing hand, a stream more wide with deeper tide flows on to lower land. Um, so that's the Sea of Galilee. And this lower land is the, the Jordan Valley. And this is incredible farmland. Uh, you can see that it's, it's used for livestock. It's used for crops. You can see different crops down here uh, in this Jordan Valley. Um, and again, it's, it's not quite Ireland green, but it's green. It's beautiful uh, just there as you go south from the Sea of Galilee. But... Eventually, you get so far south that you get down here in this region of the Dead Sea. Uh, this region is the lowest point, uh, the lowest point on Earth, uh, below sea level, about 1,400 feet. It's the lowest land elevation on Earth. And it receives this water from the Sea of Galilee to the Jordan River but as green and alive and as beautiful as all of those previous pictures were, this, this is what the valley of the Jordan around the Dead Sea looks like. Very little vegetation, very little wildlife. Um, that's us floating in it because it's so salty. Um, it's, uh, it's got about a 35% salt concentration, which is... Uh, more than 10 times what you find in, in most parts of the oceans. And so it's almost impossible for you to drown uh, in the Dead Sea. Some people say it's impossible, uh, but if you look it up, there have actually been a couple of cases where somebody got upside down and couldn't get right side up again. Um, that's how much you float in uh, the, the, the Dead Sea. Um, and in many places, it's really, it's really muddy right here. But in many places, it's very clear. And yet, everywhere around it, it's dead. This is Masada, the uh, ancient fortress uh, that, that dates back to the B.C. times and Herod the Great. And just behind us, you can see the lake there from the top of this giant hill right here. Um, and this would be about right here. 
uh, on the Dead Sea about three quarters of the way down. And if you look down, look at how dead everything is. And not just that. You see this, you see this square right here? That's an encampment of the Roman army that dates from 70 A.D., and yet it's still there undisturbed because nothing grows. There's no plant life in order to root it up so that you don't see it anymore. And so you actually see a couple of these encampments there from Masada. Again, it's pretty. The water is beautiful. And even in many places, it is incredibly crystal clear. It looks like water that you could just take up in a cup and drink when it's, in fact, just entirely dead, filled with salt. And it's eerie. Because in many, not Lake Erie, right? It's eerie when you get there because in many places you don't hear anything. There are no birds, there are no fish, there are no animals. You look into the water, there's nothing swimming in there. There's not even any algae growing. It's just totally and completely dead. And so that's what the second verse talks about. There is a sea which day by day receives a fuller tide, but all its store it keeps nor gives to shore, nor sea beside. It's Jordan's stream, now turned to brine, lies heavy as molten lead. Its dreadful name doth e'er proclaim that sea is waste and dead. It's interesting that this is the exact reason why the Dead Sea is what it is. It receives from the Jordan River, but remember this is what? The lowest place on earth. So where can the water go? Nowhere. It just keeps it until eventually this water evaporates, which leaves it with this high salt content. Um, in fact, environmentalists uh, around the world are up in arms right now because the, the Dead Sea is re receding at a rate of three feet a year. Uh, because there are so many minerals that can be found in this sea, and so they've got these holding tanks where they're allowing it all to evaporate and then taking all the, the minerals out. Not just salt, but a, num a number of other minerals as well. And so that's the image. You've got one sea up in the north that receives and then gives freely from what it receives, and then you've got another sea down in the south that receives but then keeps it all for itself and doesn't give any of it away. And so the third verse asks the question, which shall it be for you or me? Is it the Dead Sea, which only receives, or the Sea of Galilee, which both receives and gives? So let's read that third verse. Which shall it be for you and me, who God's good gifts obtain? Shall we all accept for self alone, or take to give again? For he who once was rich indeed laid all his glory down, that by his grace the ransom race should share his wealth and crown. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, the first two verses were just a poem. Uh, we don't know who wrote uh, those two verses. We know uh, that it first showed up sometime in the 1800s. Uh, but then a sister in Christ and a preacher's wife in 1921 took the, that poem and then added a third verse and set it to music, and that's what gives us the song that we sang just a moment ago. And so I ask the question that she asks, which shall it be for you and me? Will we be receivers and givers or receivers only, uh, which is maybe just a nice way of saying takers? Are we going to be givers or takers? But maybe of the, part of the problem is 
that we think about things in that sort of binary sort of way, that there are just two camps of people, two kinds of people. There are givers and there are takers. But that's not really the biblical model. As implied by the song, is the Sea of Galilee a giver only? Uh, two people shook their head one way or the other. You with me? You still with me? Is the Sea of Galilee a giver only? Of course not. It, it receives, and it receives in abundance so that it might give. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Remember? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, more blessed to give, he says, but more blessed implies what? implies that it is blessed in both counts, right? It's blessed to receive and it's blessed to give. It's more blessed to give, but it's also blessed if we receive as well. And that's the biblical model, that we receive and we give. Um, and we're all going to have seasons in our life when, where we're going to give more and seasons in our life when we're going to take more. Um, receive more is the nicer way of putting it. Uh, I, uh, I've encouraged others to do this uh, in meetings and so forth, and I'm going to share it with you all too. If you've got kids uh, who've left the home, but you're still in good health and you've got money to spare and your parents are doing well, that's a time to be a giver, to get after it, to get to work helping others, right? And then there are seasons where you take more, like maybe if you're a young family and you're struggling just getting by, juggling life and kids and work, that's the time where you accept some help. And that doesn't make you less spiritual or a failure, it just means in that season of life you receive more instead of giving more. And in other seasons you've received and now it's your turn to give. Um, I think about the times in our life where we've received in just that time. When we were a young family and, and we were struggling and Maddie wouldn't sleep and, and Joe and Sandy were the givers uh, for, for many of those years. Uh, and, you know, I pray and I hope now that maybe we have the opportunity to be givers as well back to them and to others. I was preaching in Little Rock earlier this year and I gave that exact admonition and there was a young family there, uh, a young family, a husband and wife with a couple of kids, that their parents uh, were all six hours or more away from where they were living there in Little Rock. And a newly retired couple came and asked when they could watch their kids that night after that sermon. And that's making application, isn't it? And maybe we need to look at our own lives and examine that. Am I in a season of life where I need to be giving more? Or maybe I'm in a season of life where I need to be accepting more help. But I need to have the right attitude as both a receiver and as a giver. And again, the biblical teaching is not just let everyone else do it for you. We know that leads to laziness and selfishness and entitlement. But the biblical model is not also you do for everyone else, even those who could do for yourselves. That leads to burnout and resentment and self-righteousness. Instead, we should all be looking for ways to be mutually beneficial to one another. And it is beneficial to me to be a giver, and it is beneficial to me to be a receiver as well. I know that's true because it's true of God. Have you ever thought about that? That God is both a giver and a receiver? 
that it is mutually beneficial for him to have a relationship with us? Does God receive anything from us? Does God receive anything from us? Should he receive anything from us? Now, it's not as though he needs anything from us. We understand that. But he should and he deserves to receive praise and glory and honor and prayer and worship. But even more, he benefits from us. He receives from us when he receives us back as his children. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to give you a few examples of this receiving and giving. And we'll begin there in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1 is all about God giving. In verse 3, it is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And this was our scripture reading, which went perfectly uh, with what we're talking about tonight just a few moments ago. But there is one notable exception where it is not just God giving to us, it's God receiving something in return. Just a couple of verses in this first chapter. Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, the New King James says. Uh, The American Standard says we have been made a heritage, something that God claims and inherits for himself. And whether that's intended in verse 11 or not, it's crystal clear in verse 18. Paul says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Well, that's for us all, obviously. But also, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Whose inheritance? God's inheritance. And so God gives and gives and gives, but he also receives from us as well. And as Christians... We are called to be receivers and givers as part of this community of believers and in our community at large with other people, even non-believers. The reference in the third verse of this song is to the example of Jesus, and it most closely echoes what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he has given, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave so that we might receive. But it doesn't stop there, right? If we go on to chapter 9 in the context of everything else that is being said in the gifts that these brethren in Corinth were supposed to give, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance. You receive and you receive and you receive from God an abundance for what? Every good work, so that you might then give. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, 
and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. More things are coming from what we're giving. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also abounds through many thanksgivings to God. While, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That describes us, right? Just as Christ, we see him giving so that we might receive, we receive from Christ and we receive from God to abundance so that we might give in return. And we imitate God in lots of ways when we think about this idea of receiving and giving. Um, The Bible talks about we receive light from the Lord. God shines his light into our lives. And what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be light to others. Uh, We are called to be holy. We're called to holiness, right? Well, God is holy and he makes us holy so that we might live uh, a holy life. And the gifts we receive from God and others are intended to be passed on as well. Not just material, monetary gifts, but other gifts as well. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, There are a dozen different examples of this. I'm just going to give you a few and then I'll let you uh, dig in on your own to think about this idea of receiving so that we might pass it on in giving. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble or tribulation with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. God gives us comfort even when we go through difficulties, even when we go through hard times. And we as Christians have something really, really special in receiving that kind of comfort, knowing that there is more beyond this life, that there is comfort beyond these physical things that can and will be taken away from us. What are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to hoard that for ourselves? Or are we supposed to be those who are striving to give comfort to others as well? We receive so that we might give. Um, how many Christians have you known in your life who are just like that? Who you go in order to try and comfort them, be they on the hospital bed or the deathbed, and yet they have received such comfort from God. They are overflowing with comfort to such a degree that you end up being the one who leaves comforted by them. They receive and they give comfort from God. Uh, Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So again, the image is we receive forgiveness from God, and we're supposed to give forgiveness to others. 
Uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Starting there in verse 12. Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So he received this grace and mercy from God. And what does he do? He does a couple of things. He works for God. He's put into the ministry. So he receives and he gives. And he also receives from God and doesn't just give to others. He gives back to God in the form of thanks there at the beginning of verse 12, the very first thing that he does. So he receives grace and he gives back thanks and work. Um, and if you don't believe that, go back and read Acts chapter 9. What does the text say? Immediately he begins preaching Christ in the synagogues. He reasons with them. Paul preaches like somebody who's on fire or maybe fighting fire, either image would work, right? Because he knows what he has received, and he wants to give that to others. Uh, continuing forward in our Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, so the things that you have received, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what do we have? Paul receives it from the Holy Spirit and gives it to Timothy. Timothy receives it from Paul and gives it to other men. Other men receive it from Timothy and they do what? They pass it on down the line. And so we have this constant chain of giving, receiving, and giving again. That's the image. That's the model for so many things in our Christian life. That we are not to hoard these things up for ourselves. But they are things that we are supposed to pass on to others. And even better... If we can amplify what we receive to give even more to others. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. That's us. That should be us as Christians. That we pass on our blessings. That we pass on what God has done for us that we bear fruit a hundredfold, that we take the talents that we've been given according to our abilities and we double those. And may it be said of us what God promises to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, he says of Abraham that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. But what does he say next? And you will be a blessing. Yes, through him, all nations of the earth were going to be blessed. But Abraham himself, the man that he was and the things that he did, was supposed to be a blessing to others. God is saying, I'm going to give you blessings beyond what you could imagine. But what I demand, what I expect from those things, is for you to receive them and then give them. 
to pass them on as they have been given to you. And so we are blessed by God so that we might bless others as well. And maybe in our little corner of East Texas, it's not all the nations of the world, but to all with whom we interact, this is what we should be known for. Which shall it be for you and me? Um, we're about to sing this song again. Um, Eric, if you want to go ahead and switch over, you may at this time. Um, I'm hopeful in singing this song this many times, it gets stuck in your head and you can't get it out for the entire week. And that this parable, that this image comes to your mind again and again and again. And at every time that it does, every time that little bass line comes into your mind, do, 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 do. Every time you hear that, I want you to think to yourself, what have I received? And how can I give that in service to God and in service to others? We always, uh, we always give the opportunity for somebody to put Christ on in baptism or to make their life right with Christ, even those who are Christians who have sin in their life. But the invitation, the invitation tonight, is really for you to take this concept and live it every day this week. I've received. Now what is it that I can do to give? Would you stand now as we sing this song one more time? There is a sea. 